Today's scripture reading will be in Philippians 1. If you're using the Pew Bible, it is on page 980. As we read Philippians, may we too have faith like Paul, who wrote this letter while in prison, not out of his own strength, but out of a deep reliance on God, our great sustainer. So you could please stand with me as you read Philippians 1, starting in verse 1. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi, with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. All right, good morning, church. Y'all doing all right? Waiting for that Memorial Day weekend next weekend, huh? Ready for that break? All right, as you saw, that front pew over here was a little empty. I was pretty, lo- pretty lonely over there. But, um, but I mentioned that just for two things. Uh, I want y'all to uh, just continue to be praying for the staff who is on the road for various reasons. Um, pray for them as they're studying, ministering on the road. And as we um, just heard Melvin, Elder Melvin pray about uh, Pastor Fred, and let's just continue to pray for them. And I also do want to mention um, appreciation for all the elders stepping in so that I'm not running the show by myself here today. And so, uh, but definitely I'm grateful for them and their work. And, um, and those of you who are new in here, um, if you're a newcomer in here, uh, you, you see in the bulletin, uh, Pastor Jason was supposed to be here today, um, but there was a switch and, my, and I'm Stan, and so sorry for the bait and switch, and, uh, but... You get me. At this, but at the same time, you know, thankfully that you're going to be hearing from the Spirit and, um, and not from my, my, not to hear my words. But, um, but yeah, before we begin, let me pray so that, um, just so that our hearts uh, may receive uh, the word that the Spirit has for us. So let's pray once more. God, I thank you for today. I thank you for this time. Especially this, these next few moments that we get to look into your word. Where we get to hear what you have to say. And I pray that you would, uh, that you would uh, speak a louder message that's going to be here, that's going to be heard here and here today. Um, I pray that your, your power will be, uh, power of transformation uh, will be felt. And that your love will be seen in this place. 
So God, we thank you for this time. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're going to be starting a new series here today. As you see, uh, we're in the book of Philippians. And uh, if you never read the book of Philippians, or maybe it's been a while, or maybe you read it last week, um, I'll still encourage everyone here to read through the book of Philippians. Um, you know, read it all today. Read it all this week. Read it once a day, the whole book once a day. Um, it's not long at all. It's four chapters. Um, I even joked about it with Pastor Jason. I was like, hey, can I uh, just come up here and read the whole book and just sit down? And, um, you know, that, that'll probably, if anything, I really felt like after reading the book of Philippians, you just leave feeling hopeful. You just leave feeling joyful after seeing Paul. And I really felt like, you know, if we could read this and just meditate on this, and then that, that, that was, if that's the only thing we did today, then I feel like we would still leave encouraged. Um, and, but, but again, as you read through the book of Philippians, you know, I, I can't help but to notice just how much hope and how much joy God, um, Paul has um, throughout the book. Um, you know, especially as, as um, Elder Brian has mentioned, hey, he, it's crazy to think that there's so much hope, so much joy while Paul was writing this in prison. Um, that's crazy to think about. You know, some, some would even say, hey, maybe the book of Philippians is not, the theme of it is not about joy. Um, but whether it is or not about joy, whether the theme of Philippians is joy or not, um, it's hard to ignore. It's hard to ignore Paul when he uses the word joy or rejoice um, over 12 times in the book. Um, and that's four chapters. And so it, it's, it's a repeated word. It, it's something where Paul is trying to get at for the Philippians. Um, and, and so even if it's not a theme of the book, Paul is encouraging the Philippians uh, to find joy. He's saying to be joyous. He, he says rejoice, right? And, and rejoice, he says rejoice in the Lord in Philippians 3.1. Um, and in Philippians 4.4, 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. So Paul is encouraging them to rejoice. Paul is encouraging, and hopefully by reading or hearing this letter, that he is able to have his readers and hearers to rejoice at the end of all this. But Paul isn't just telling his readers and the church there to rejoice, just to be joyful. But at, if it, at the same time, he's encouraging them out of his own experience. He's encouraging them to be joyful, to rejoice from his own experience of having joy himself. Um, and that's what we get to see here today in our passage. Because from the very beginning of this book, um, from the very beginning of his book, Paul, he's sharing about the joy that he has. And so that's what we're going to get to see. We're going to be able to see in this passage the joy that Paul has and where that joy comes from. Um, and so we'll see the three things that, um, the things that he has joy in. And if you see in the, in the outline, those three things are the joy in the work of the gospel, the joy in the advancement of the gospel, and the joy, that in, in the, um, in the joy in living out the gospel. And so those three things are going to help us hopefully see um, just God's heart uh, for his people through his word. And so um, joy in the work of the gospel. Let's look at this. Let's read verse 3 right here. Uh, from the very beginning, again, we see, we see Paul saying, uh, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you, uh, for you all, making my prayer with joy. 
It says in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the very first day until now. If you think about it, just read this. Paul, he's saying he has prayer with joy every single time. And it's crazy to think about. Like, think about the last time you had a prayer and you were praying, and it was just so filled with joy. And maybe when you're praying for someone or praying for some, something, and it was just a joy-filled prayer. Yeah, I, I feel like sometimes our prayers are kind of like, oh, like, okay, yeah, I, I, we, we're, we're in distress, and so we pray. Or we're, we're stressed, and uh, we're worried about something, and so we pray. Or, you know, we're worried about a test, and so we pray. Or we're worried about the situation at work, and we pray. And, then, and our prayers are, are just full of frustration. Our prayers are full of pain. Our prayers are full of everything else but joy. But right here, Paul, he says, all in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. So where does he get that? And so when Paul, he says, you fill my prayers with joy, he's thinking back in this passage, he's thinking back to all the way to the beginning. He, Paul's vision uh, for the work, for the gospel work, um, has the start of the church in mind. Uh, and so if you guys are familiar with the, the uh, with the book of uh, with the book of Acts in chapter Acts chapter sixteen, um, that's where we hear uh, the beginnings of uh, the church in Philippi. And so, um, if you're able to turn with me to Acts chapter sixteen, uh, we're going to look at just how the church started. Uh, we're going to look at what Paul has in mind when he says um, that I, you know, you're uh, that I, as I think about you. Um, my prayers are filled with joy. And this is why he's thinking about these situations. And, and so if you're not familiar with this passage in Acts chapter 16, um, I, I, and I hope that this will en, um, enlighten um, you to what Paul is saying here. So if you turn to Acts chapter 16, starting at verse 11. So let's read that. It says, so, so setting sail from Tros, um, we made a direct voyage to Sematros, and from the, in the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia in a Roman colony. We remained in the city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate of the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the woman who had come together. And one who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And after she was baptized, her household and her household as well, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. So the beginning of the church in Philippi started with this woman named Lydia. So even though she, even though she was described as a worshiper of God, her heart needed to be saved. Her, and the scripture says her, that God opened her heart. And, and it's really cool because... Um, so Paul preaches, he, he preaches to this group of women, and Lydia responds in the gospel message, she responds to the gospel message and is saved, and at the same time, her whole household is saved as well. Like, it, wouldn't that be awesome to see, like, a whole household, like, uh, someone that you've been praying for, maybe you've been praying for a coworker, but then here's the thing, like, you know, usually we go, hey, I, I'm, I'm praying for my coworker, and I hope my coworker is saved, but you know, what, what if that, you know, one time you shared a gospel with them, and they were saved, and they were at home, and they, they find out later, you find out, hey, I shared a gospel with my kids, and they were saved that day, and that would be awesome to hear. And that's kind of the picture of what happens here. Lydia and her family are saved um, by um, Paul's preaching of the gospel. 
And so we have that. We have Lydia. And so we have Lydia, but who was a very successful woman. She was a seller of purple goods. So that meant she knew fashion. She kind of, um, she was very wealthy. Um, and it also says, uh, again, she was also a worshiper of God. Uh, so even though, she, uh, and so, and so, so she, um, so this was, this was Lydia, right? And, and she was, uh, you know, all these things where she was prominent in her community. Uh, she had, maybe had her own place to stay. Uh, again, businesswoman, very wealthy and um, very knowledgeable, right? And very powerful. And so this is Lydia. Um, but if we read on in Acts, we, 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 see, we see what happens next. Uh, the next person that Paul and Silas who encounters is a slave girl. Uh, so this slave girl, she, she had a spirit of divination. Um, so that meant that she kind of had this demonic spirit in her. Um, and, and because of that, she was able to uh, kind of have a job in fortune telling. Um, so she didn't have a lot of money herself, um, but she made her owners a lot of money. Uh, she was someone that was totally different from Lydia. So right, Lydia was someone who was on top of society, a family, uh, owns a home and a business. Uh, but here we have a slave girl, a slave girl who was, um, who was owned by people, right? Instead of fine clothing, uh, she was probably in rags, right? Instead of being one who was a worshiper of God, she was a person who was, uh, um, she, 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 had, she was a person that possessed a demonic spirit. So these two, the Lydia and the slave girl, could not have been any different. And yet, this was the beginning of the church of Philippi. And there's one more person that we run into in the book of Acts. And so if you continue reading in the book of Acts, uh, we follow the story of the slave girl. And so the slave girl, she, she, it, we're told that she falls around Paul and Silas for days. And she actually, um, you know, as they're following around, she, um, sorry, if you, so if you, if you read uh, in uh, verse, uh, Acts chapter 16, verse 17, the, the slave girl, she follows them around and she yells out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. Um, but it, what's funny in this, in, in this situation is that it says that Paul gets annoyed. And then he, what he does is that he ends up commanding the demonic spirit to leave the girl, and it does. Um, and so what happens is the owners of this slave girl who was making a whole bunch of money because she was possessed by this demonic spirit, um, they get angry. Um, and they, what happens is they throw, um, they get Paul and Silas thrown into prison. Um, and this is where we read about another main convert in, in, the, in, in, in Philippi. And so now Paul and Silas, they were supposed to be kept safe in jail. Paul and Silas, what, ha- what was happening was after, um, uh, after commanding this, the demonic spirit to leave, um, they were getting beaten up by the people in the city, and they were, um, and they were kind of being harassed. And so what happened was that they were kind of, um, kind of being, uh, finding shelter within uh, the, the, the system. Government put them in jail to kind of keep them safe from the crowds. Uh, but what happens here is that this jailer, so instead of keeping them safe, um, it says that, it says that, um, that they were put into an inner prison and fastened their feet in stocks. And so what that meant, and, and a, a little thing about stocks real quick, um, stocks 
and back in the day was this contraption where they would lock your body in a position where it was painful for the body, where it was, it was like kind of contortion. And so this guard, this jailer that they were put in jail with, um, they disobeyed the orders that he was supposed to do. He, he disobeyed. He was supposed to keep them safe, but yet he began to torture them. And so, so then we read how there was this great earthquake uh, that unfastened everything, and it kind of opened the doors, and, um, and all the prisoners, they could have gone free. And so in that moment, the jailer, he was about to free him, he was about to kill himself, because if anyone were to leave, anyone were to escape, he, they, he would have been put to death. Um, and, and so, and so what, what had happened in that moment when everyone's, and the gates were open, everyone's uh, stocks were loosened, uh, Paul pleads with the jailer, hey, don't kill yourself. Don't kill yourself because everyone is still here. No one has left. Um, and, and, and so the jailer responds. And he responds to this action of Paul. He responds to what Paul has done. Uh, he responds by asking, how can I be saved? So this jailer, he was a guy. He was bound to his job. He was a guy. He was bound to his country. He was bound to his duty for his country. Uh, this jailer was supposed to keep Paul safe. Um, but yet he, he joins the crowds, right? The jailer, he joins the crowds uh, because maybe, because he was, uh, if he was bound to his city, if he was bound to um, everything um, that, the, you know, the, the government, then he was going, yeah, Paul and Silas, they're disrupting the city, they're causing chaos, um, they're going against our culture, they're going against the government, so I'm going to put, I'm going to torture them a little bit as well. So it makes sense why this jailer would have tortured them. This main third convert was nothing like Lydia. The jailer, nothing like Lydia, nothing like, nothing like um, the slave girl. But the gospel, the gospel message breaks through to all three of them. The gospel message breaks through not only to them, but to their families. Again, with the jailer, he goes home and his family is saved. It didn't matter their background. It didn't matter what happened. Um, it, didn't matter, um, it didn't matter what literal or, 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 or not literal demons that they had. It didn't matter where their loyalties lie. It didn't matter what was going on in their life. God opened all of their hearts to receive the work of the gospel, and they were saved. So let's turn back to Philippians 1.6. Because in Philippians 1.6, I want you to turn with me. Philippians 1.6. Philippians 1.6. And Paul, I mean, this is something we're familiar with, this passage. It says, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. And usually when I read this passage, when I read this verse, I usually think about, I usually think about kind of the bookends. Like God, he, he began a good work and he will complete it at the end. I usually think, we, I never think about what happens in the middle. But if we read it together with verse 5, if we read it together with verse 5, there's this idea from the beginning until now until the end that God's work is there. That God's gospel work is in there. Right? So in verse 5, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, and I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ. So to the Philippians, Paul, Paul is saying, remember, 
Remember, remember where you came from? Remember what happened back, to you, back then? Remember how God saved you and he saved your family in one day? Remember the work of the gospel and how he broke down walls and how he shattered your old lives and he gave you new life? Well, that same God who did that work back then is in your life right now and here today. That same God who broke down the walls today is still at work in your life right now. He's, he's, out and he's working in your life right now, and he will continue to do so. And Paul's joy in the gospel work is that his joy is in the gospel work that's going on in our life right now. Paul is saying we've been partners in the gospel all the way up until now, and we will continue to, see, to do so. So what I, I want us to hear, I want us to hear that God is still here and you're working in your life right now in this moment. He's been working in your life this past week, whether you believe it or not. He's been working in your life, whether you doubt him or not. He's been working in your life, even if you don't see it or feel it or believe in it. He's making gospel transformations in your life. It doesn't matter what you're going through. It doesn't matter how far you have strayed from God. It doesn't matter how how far you have fallen from him. It doesn't matter what you think about him. He is not done working in you in this moment right now. It doesn't matter what sort of mess you find yourself in or how messy your life is. It doesn't matter. But here's the thing. When God found you in the very, very beginning, that was you at your worst. You think about that? You being a sinner, an enemy of God, one who slaps God every day in the face, the one who does not seek God, the one who does not seek good, that was your worst. When you were an enemy of God, you were at your worst back then. And yet God still came into your life and forgave you of your sins. And so maybe you feel like, man, I just messed up and I've, it's just, it's just so bad in my life right now and I'm in such deep sin. I'm in this cycle of sin. I'm in this rut of sin. I can't defeat my, my, my sin. And you feel like I've done it. I've, I've messed up so much and God would not even come back. Maybe you need to remember what God has done. The gospel work that he did in the beginning is that same gospel work that he does now in your life. Let's think about this. We're, we're all, I would say we're all pretty similar in here. We might have similar testimonies. Maybe our theology is very similar. Like a lot of us, we're here at HCC because we find this, we find our services uh, to, to actually enjoy the services. We like the style. We like what goes on here. And so a lot of times what, what we believe in Christianity is, you know, and the way we live out our Christianity is very similar we have similar lifestyles. But the thing is, there's so much going on in this room. There's so many different heartaches in this room. There's so many different struggles in this room. There's so many different hardships and there's so many different ha- harmful habits in this room. There's a lot of broken people in here. There's a lot of broken families in here. 
Like if we were to lay out all our sin in this room, if we were to lay out all our different sins and all even just our thoughts from this past week, if we were just to lay them all out and to display them for every, everyone to see here, if we all saw each other's sin, we would kind of maybe wince a little bit and hide and, and be like, and be a little bit ashamed about, maybe a lot of shame because of what we've done. But that doesn't matter because God's work, God's gospel work works through all things in our lives. God is at work in your life right now. His work, his gospel work is at work in this room of messy people. A room of people who, doesn't, who don't get it right you know, some of us, we're going to leave here today and we're going to sin and we're going we're gonna to be angry. We're going we're gonna to have all these things in our hearts where, you know, we feel like we're going to need forgiveness for. And yet God is still there. There is forgiveness of your sins that maybe some of you, you need to feel right now. Maybe some of us, that God wants you to be free from different chains in your life. Maybe some of you, God is working through different habits, harmful habits in your life. And God is working in you. He is telling you of the work, reminding you of the work that he has been doing in your life. He is reminding you that he has not abandoned you. He is reminding you that he loves you. He is reminding you of the work of Christ has done on the cross. And that the work and the power of Christ on the cross cannot and is not it cannot be uh, overpowered by what you're going through. It cannot be weakened by what you're going through. So know the gospel power. Know the gospel work of Christ. And take joy in the gospel work of Christ. And so that is the work. That is the gospel work that Paul takes joy in. So that's the first thing we see. And the second thing that we see in Philippians chapter 1 is the advancement of the gospel and the joy of the advancement of the gospel. And so let's continue to read in Philippians chapter 1 verse 7. Philippians 1 verse 7, it says, It is right for me to feel this way about you because I hold you in my heart, for you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. And so as we mentioned earlier in, in, in this service, Paul, he's writing this letter while he's in prison. And Paul, he's, he's um, you know, imprisonment, oppression, hardships, like these are all too common experiences for Paul. And if you read, and I believe it's 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it talks about how Paul, he was shipwrecked, how Paul, he was stoned, how, how Paul, how he received the 40 lashes five times, and, and all these things where Paul is suffering, um, all of these things were an all too common experience for him. But Paul, he, but the thing is, Paul, he takes joy at his supporters who are advancing the gospel with him. Right? So it's just not him who's going out there. It's just not him who's, who's advancing the gospel, but rather it's, it's his supporters who are going out and supporting him through all these different, uh, different things that he's going through, through all of these different hardships that he's, that he's going through. And so he doesn't think about what he's going through, but he's taking joy in how this church is supporting him. He's taking joy in how these people are joining, are partaking and fellowshipping with him, um, with him in a while, you know, um, in advancing the gospel. And so it's, if you think about this, if anyone would know about advancing the gospel while, the, you know, while in prison, it would be the Philippians. Right? Remember, 
one of the first converts was a jailer. And so maybe, I, I would think from time to time, maybe in the church, you know, as their church is gathering, and maybe when they heard this letter from Paul, maybe they will be like, hey, you know, remember, hey, Steve, remember that time where you, you, know, you were supposed to keep Paul safe, and then, and then, but yet you rather, you tortured him? And so remember what happened after that, how he, Paul was singing throughout the whole time, and that he was annoying every other prisoner, and annoying all the guards with his singing, but yet you became a Christian that day? Like, if you think about this, the Philippians, they were the ones who would know this idea of advancing the gospel while in prison. And they know that if Paul was in prison, that meant the gospel was advancing. Yeah, yes, there's affliction. Yes, there's suffering. But there's advancement in the gospel. So as Paul says, they were partaking. They were in fellowship um, if anything, that, that word partaking meant that the church, the church stood in solidarity, uh, solidarity with Paul while he was in prison. Uh, and it is said that, you know, if Paul was in prison, his imprisonment would have been a source of great shame for any of his supporters. It would have been a great shame for those who were, um, who, who were you know, do, uh, uh, who were there with him, supporting him. And if you think about it today, if anyone, you know, if, if any of our family members were in prison or anything like that, like, we would feel the shame. Or there would be some, you know, some shame, uh, you know, we'd be ashamed about, oh, man, my, my my son or my daughter or my brother, they're in prison. Like, it was just that kind of feeling, but a lot worse, right? And, and so with the Philippians, they knew that if they were there supporting Paul, they knew that they were friends of Paul, right? This was their leader, the one who church planted them, and this was their first pastor in a sense, you know, they, and it says like that, you know, if this was their leader, this is the one who started the church there, and now he's in prison, there would be some, some sort of shame, um, and, and maybe the, the Philippians, they could have been like, you know what, well, that's, that's Paul, and um, we, we knew him, but we don't want anything to do with him. They could have done that, but rather what happened? They stood with him. They stood in part, they, they were partakers with him. They supported him while in prison, even though there was shame, even though there was, um, uh, there was uh, persecution coming for them. Because there was a joy, because there was a joy that was going, that the gospel was going out. And so the church stood right behind them because of that. And so this summer, um, the youth, we're going to be able to go on a mission trip. Finally, after two years, uh, we've been able, you know, we, we take, took a break, uh, but we were able to go on a mission trip this year. And uh, we're going to get to go on this mission trip with a group called uh, uh, Youth with a Mission, YWAM. Um, so I don't know if you guys remember, I don't know if you guys remember the last time I was up here, I talked about, um, I mentioned that there was a chance that we're going to be going to a mission trip um, that was somewhere a little bit more exotic. And, um, and that was actually the only plans that kind of came through. And I really believe that God was wanting us to go on this trip. And uh, so this particular, uh, this particular YWAM base that we're going to is actually on, uh, is in Kona. And so, um, but the thing is, this particular base in YWAM, uh, it gives us an opportunity, a unique opportunity for this trip. Uh, YWAM Kona, it's their biggest base, um, and, and, uh, and there are missionaries there from all over the world uh, that are staying there for various reasons. Maybe these are past mission missionaries, maybe these are missionaries on furlough, uh, but this is their biggest base uh, in all of the world. 
And so a huge, unique, and big part of this trip is, is the opportunity to receive missions training. Um, so normally on a mission trip, normally on a mission trip, you think about it, we go to some other city, we go to uh, maybe, maybe go to like New York, or you go to like Philadelphia, you go to like San Francisco, all these, different, maybe a different city, um, and, and you kind of work locally with the church there. Uh, you work locally with the church, you, you do some ministry in the community there, uh, but there's not really a global focus or a global impact or kind of global mindset as we go out into these short-term mission trips. It's like, all right, we're helping this family paint their house and put on a new roof, and, and that's it. Um, and so I've done trips, you know, but even other trips, even other trips where I've, I've gone on in the past where we've gone to the second largest Afghan community outside of Afghanistan. Um, you know, the whole the idea of that is that we would, um, you know, preach the gospel to the, this Afghan community and in hopes that they would become Christians and, and, and hopefully that whenever they go back to Afghanistan, that they would share the gospel message to their family there. And so that was kind of a, a way to get into the unreached people groups and the unreached nations, um, you know, through the people here. And so uh, we didn't have to go to Afghanistan to preach the gospel. We can hopefully reach their family members that are here. And so uh, even then, there, there's uh, but at least, you know, you know, there's this global focus, right? There's this idea of uh, to the ends of the earth focus in that trip. So on this trip, on this trip that we're going to get to go on uh, with YWAM, uh, we get to hear, we get to learn about missions. Um, we get to learn about missions from all these people who, who normally are out there on the field or um, we, who who are out there in different parts of the world doing all sorts of different missionary work. Um, and so, so we're going to still be able to do evangelism training and go out and do foster care uh, ministry and low-income family ministry and all of these things, maybe even some um, cold turkey evangelism. So we get to still do that. Um, but for me, I'm super excited about this idea of going out and going to this place where we receive missions training. Um, it really brings an aspect of learning what God is doing in this world and how a God is advancing his kingdom into this world. Um, and now you're probably telling me why. Why am I telling you about this trip? Well, my hope, what's my, my hope is this. My hope is this, that, that, that our team of students and, and leaders, that we would see a whole church standing and supporting us. That we would see a whole church standing in solidarity with us. And we're not, we're not, you know, we don't need, you know, we're not going to persecution. But rather, I think it would be super encouraging to see. And it would be super awesome to see how our church is standing. A whole church. And not, you know, usually you give out support letters to your friends or, you know, for our youth. They give it to their parents so that they can give it to their fellowships. You know, people, you know, people that they know. But wouldn't it be awesome that a whole bunch of people that they don't know, that they, they know that these people are supporting them and loving on them and praying for them. So my hope is that, right? My hope is that you will pray for our team. You know, um, if you think about this, you pray and ask, ask God to show our team how is it that we may advance the gospel with our lives. I always want to say and I always want to emphasize in the short-term mission trip, it's not just about those nine days that we're on the field. But how are you going to use this trip to, to, to see how God wants you to advance the gospel with your life? 
We have seven seniors. We have seven seniors on this trip who's going to be going off to college soon. In the next few years, they're going to be trying to, you're going to, be trying to figure out how is it that they may use their field of work to advance the gospel in their life. You know, they're going to be figuring out how they're going to know which field of work they're going to go to, what should I major in, and what should I do with my life. And well, you, know what? you know what? My hope is that this trip and everything that we taught them, that this trip would be able to build a foundation and lay a foundation of how and help them to think, okay, how am I going to advance the gospel in my life with what I'm about to do, in, you know, with my college experience, with my college education. My hope is that the church, that we would stand behind them and pray them and show them how they may use their lives to advance the gospel. So I would love to, for our church to pray and ask God to use this mission trip to shape the lives of the team. Paul, Paul had the church supporting him and sending him out and supporting him and giving everything that they, you know, giving him and supplying his needs. Paul had the church of Philippi sending him out to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. And I really hope that our church, not just the people that they know, but that our church and the people that don't know, the people that don't know our team, there would be a bunch of people that they don't know praying for them, right? I, I really hope that our church would stand behind this team. Because if we're going to be, if we're going to be, if we're going to say at the beginning of every service, HCC, HCC exists to make God-loving and compassionate disciples of Jesus Christ among all nations. If we're going to be a church that, that, that proclaims that, if we're going to be a church that says this is our mission statement, this is one easy way to fulfill that mission statement. This is one easy way to live that out. This is one easy way to go, hey, you know what, I'm going to encourage this team. I'm going to encourage these students to go and learn how is it that they may um, use their life to glorify God and advance the gospel to the ends of the earth. And so um, I, I, there's, a, there's a link that I'm going to post up on the screen. You can write it down. You don't have to go to it now. hcc.lv slash hccymstm22. Write this down. If you, would love, if you would like to join our prayer team, if you would like to support us um, with prayer financial, financially, um, Go to that link, sign up, um, and what we're going to be doing is that we're going to be sending out a prayer calendar to all the people who sign up. We're going to pray, you know, this is a calendar that you can pray for us. It, gives, it really just gives you a verse and something to pray for each and every day um, that we're on the field and even a few days before and after. Um, and and we'll, you'll also receive different updates while we're on the field. Um, but again, you know, I asked the team. I was like, hey, team, each member needs to have 12 people praying for them. You know, you need a team of 12 people praying for you. Um, but what if we had so much more than just 12 people praying for them? And so I'm going to ask you guys to, to do that uh, if, you, if you desire to support us um, through prayer. Um, and I would love it. I would love it for our team to go, there's a church praying for you. There's a whole group of people praying for you. Um, so may we be a church May we be a church that finds joy when the gospel advances to the ends of the earth. So that's the second point. And so, again, the last thing. We have seen joy from the gospel work. We have seen joy from gospel advancement. And the, lastly, the last thing that we see is gospel living. Joy from living out the gospel in our lives. And so, uh, what does that mean? But let, we, We're going to look at this. And so, Philippians 1, verse 8 
Philippians 1.8, it says, For God is my witness, how I yearn for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with, all, with knowledge and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. The first thing we see here, Paul says, Paul says in verse, in verse 8, how I yearn for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. Let's just think about that for a second. I yearn for you with all the affections of Christ Jesus. Like, think about affections of Christ Jesus. This is the same affections. These are the affections that he had for sinful people. These are the affections that, that, that he had for sinful people that led him to die in their place. These are the same affections that Jesus Christ had that led him to take on the wrath of God. These are the, the same affections that he had to die for an undeserving people. And these, in this same affection, this affection of Jesus Christ that he shows, the affection that Jesus has shows us the greatest picture of what self, a true self-denial is and, and what true sacrifice is. So it would make sense. It would make sense what he says following after this. It would say, make sense where, where Paul follows up by saying, it is my prayer, right, in verse 9, it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more. His desire, Paul's desire is that the church, that the church in Philippi would have the same affections of Jesus Christ. That they would love the same way that Christ loved. That they would have the same affections. That they would humble himself. That they would have the same affections so much that they would humble themselves the way Christ humbled himself. That they would have the same affections as Jesus Christ so that they would sacrifice for one another and the people around them. And that is what Paul is saying, that your love may grow, that your love, not just grow, but your love may abound more and more. And so, again, if we continue on, and here's a purpose. Here's a purpose of that loving. Here's a purpose of, of, of having your love grow. Here's the purpose of the sacrifice and growing your love for others. And Paul continues. He says, what does he say? So that you may approve what is excellent. So I want to stop there. What is so that you may approve what is excellent? And so what Paul, what Paul is saying here is not he's not saying you know that, that, that this is you're going to approve what is the better way of life. Uh, it, it's not that as Christians we live better, uh, better lives, or right? you know, Christian is the better way to go. Um, but if we live sacrificially, but if we if we, if we live with the affections of Jesus Christ, we find life. If we live in a life where our love abounds more and more and where we sacrifice more and more, we will find that this is where joy abounds. We will find that this is where joy may be found. Because Christianity is not a bunch of rules. Christianity is not, a bunch, it's not about a bunch of do's and don'ts. But if anything, it's about a bunch of sacrificially living. It's about a bunch of gospel living. It's about denying yourself daily so that you will see that Christ is better in your life. It is about the knowing that Christ is enough in your life. It is about, it, it, is, it, is your, it is in your 
Um, it is about you living your life so that in turn you show off that he is better. Christianity is not, it, 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 sorry, Christianity is about living out the gospel so that every round, if everyone around you may, have find, may find life and find life to the full. So let me ask you this. What kind of God is seen in your life? How is God seen in your life? What, is, what, what type of God is seen in your life? You know, and, and, you know, as Christians, we're known for our rules. We're known for our do's and don'ts. As Christians, sometimes, you know, God is seen as someone, because of our lives, we're seen as God, you know, as, you know, we, God is seen as someone who takes away our love, takes away our freedom. You know, God is nev- never really seen as a God who sacrifices. You know, sometimes our witness to others is one who shows that our worship, uh, that we worship a joyless God. Sometimes our witness is, is that we show that God is not really worth following in our life. But Paul, Paul, he ends the passage saying this. He ends the passage saying, what does he say? He says, to live with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. You and I, you and I must find glory in God in our lives first. We must see that his glory is the greatest pursuit in our life. We must pursue him in our lives first. Because God's good work, God's good work, God's gospel work is in our lives today. And it leads us to joyfully praise him. He, he, God is not after begrudging submission. God's not after begrudging following after him. Like think about this. If you begrudgingly go to work every day, if you grumble all day at school, you come home grumbling from school because of all the work you have, you go to, you know, you grumble about work when you come home. No one's going to say, yeah, I want to do what he does. I want to do what she does. I, I want to I be like them because they're grumbling all the time. No, because they're so annoyed at everything all the time. Oh, because they're frustrated. No, no, no. No one's going to say that. We don't begrudgingly follow after God, but we joyfully submit. We joyfully live a life that displays Christ as the ultimate joy for everyone in our life. So we live joyfully. We live joyfully because God's good work is in our lives right now. God's gospel work is revealing everything that strips away joy in our life. And his gospel work reveals, not only reveals that that whatever strips away the joy, but it replaces it. Replaces it with all the joys of the gospel, with all the hope of the gospel, with all the joys of Christ and the satisfaction of Christ. The gospel work in our life right now, it changes you. It gives you the affections of Jesus Christ. It it makes your love abound more and more. So may you and I see the gospel of Jesus Christ that produces joy and that we live lives so that we may take the gospel and that we take it to the God, we take the gospel to our friends and to our families, but also to the ends of the earth. And so let's pray. God, I pray that your gospel work may be in our life now. Um, pray that your gospel message would give us joy. I pray, Jesus, that you would satisfy us. That you allow us to pursue you in all of our lives. I pray that our love for you would abound more and more. That we will love you more and more each day with all of our hearts, all of our souls, all of our minds and strength. And that we may love those around us in our lives. God, we thank you for loving us. And may we live to glorify you. Pray in Jesus' name.